Australia. Quake Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quake Cooper is the man. Hello there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Mitch, you have had a wonderful weekend down at Melbourne. We'll get into it in more detail. I'm Ando, you're Mitch. Just give me something. How was the Super Round in Melbourne? Yeah, it was great. It was really great. It was awesome to be down there to experience a new thing that Super Rugby's trialling this year. Uh, the idea of having all of the teams playing out of one venue or most of the teams, if you include the force not showing up, unfortunately. But it was great to have just rugby sort of front and center. It We'll get into the the nitty gritty a little bit later about the overall atmosphere and that sort of thing in Melbourne and, and at the event. But there was so many jerseys around, like 95% Kiwi jerseys, but still, <laughs> even on my flight back home to Sydney this morning, there was like four Chiefs jerseys. So... Um, no Waratahs anywhere, but a lot of New Zealand jerseys around. So it was cool for that aspect and to to get in and amongst the rugby community at a venue. It was it felt in a lot of ways like a little mini rugby World Cup. Well, that's a lot of fun, and I can't wait to dive into it in more detail with you in a moment. But what I thought we might do is start off with a rugby-related question, something a bit fun, something a bit irreverent, just to start off the show. Now, have you heard of the game Kiss Mary Kill before? Yes, 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 I've heard that. Yes, yeah. he has. Okay, so I've amended this slightly, okay? So instead of a kiss, marry, kill, what it's going to be is go out for a nice dinner and beers. Okay. Okay. Spend two, like one to two months together, like living together and kind of like um, having a longer experience mm-hmm. or having no- nothing to do with. Those are the three options. One of them Ooh. is a, a dinner or an evening. Yep. The one, other one is one to two months and the other one is nothing. All right? Okay. And... Yep. Now, you have to choose between George Smith, David Pocock, and Michael Hooper. Oh. Some of the th- some of the best sevens in Australian rugby history, if not the top three. So, what, who are you going to first have a dinner with? So, we've got David Pocock, George Smith, and Michael Hooper. Oh, this Correct. is hard. Okay, I'm probably going to go. I think I'll go with dinner with David Pocock. And why? Uh, these got so many stories. Uh, I think it'd be fantastic to hear that, to be able to sit down with him and just chat rugby, chat politics, all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, he is running for politics at the moment, so I don't want to take up too much of his time. So I guess I'm being generous there. Yeah, very noble of you. Well done. Sure, the people of ACT, thank you. Uh, Now we move into the one to two months spending time with, who who would that be? You've got George Smith or Michael Hooper remaining. Look, I'm going to go for a selfish answer here. I'm going to say Michael Hooper. And that's purely because I've watched more and been more intently involved in rugby during his tenure whilst playing than I have with George Smith. As amazing a player as George was, and I remember when I was younger growing up and watching him play, I just have so many more fond memories of seeing Michael Hooper out on the field, leading the Wallabies, uh, being the kind of current player that he is. So I think I would really love to... And and also the aspect is that he's still playing. So maybe yeah, I might cool. be able to, you know, get a few free tickets, get into a box at the <laughs> at the new SFS or something along those lines. 
maybe get a free ticket to the SCG when England come down they don't have to pay $6,000 for. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I think that would be pretty cool. Well, that sounds great, mate. And then that means that you will be leaving George Smith and won't be spending time with him, which I think is a pretty, uh, pretty contentious call for many rugby fans yeah. out there. But at the same time, I would have actually done the same for the same reasons in that I've kind of uh, become a huge rugby fan in the era of David Pocock and George Smith. Um, sorry, David Pocock and Michael Hooper as being the preeminent sevens in Australian rugby. But why don't we now move on into the rest of the show, looking first at our social platforms and then the Superbrew Yellow Cap winner for this week. Fantastic. So we are on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Uh, we're on Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast page. We're also on Twitter at Pick underscore Drive Rugby. Please do give us a like and a follow on all those platforms. On Instagram, we do post our picks for the coming weekend on a Thursday, Friday morning. Uh, we also release our 15 of the week on a Sunday or Monday, depending on how the weekend's been on Instagram, Facebook. We actually do that on all three platforms, but Instagram being a visual one, do give us a follow there so you can see what we're talking about. And we're quite vocal on Twitter as well. We like to um, <laughs> spread our opinion, let's say that. And uh, we talk a lot of rugby. So definitely give us a, tw- uh, a follow on Twitter. One thing that we are doing at the moment, and we will hope to continue doing it for the rest of the Super Rugby season, is we do have media access. So I have been attending the post-match press conferences. Uh, down in Super Round for the weekend, I was going to the press conferences, which was an awesome experience, being able to get there. We want to use this opportunity to ask the coaches and the captains your questions, the fan questions, be that kind of bridge between the general rugby public and the super rugby professionals, coaches, captains, those sort of things. So do follow us on Twitter because we do send out a tweet around halftime for the games asking for your Mm -hmm. questions. We want to hear your questions. We can ask the questions that we think, but when you South Wales fans, we don't deny that. So we can ask Darren Coleman and... uh, Jake Gordon, as many questions as we like. When it comes to the other Super Rugby teams, we probably don't have as many questions prepared. So we would love to hear your input there. So please do give us a a follow on Twitter and look out for that because uh, it's great when we can ask a question for the fans. Great stuff, mate. Why don't you take us through the Super Brew Yellow Cap winner? Fantastic. So Super Brew is currently bugging out a little bit as we go to air right now. So we do have the results for round 10. Uh, Red Velvet, well done. You have taken out the yellow cap this week. So Red Velvet uh, got nine and a half points this round. Fantastic. Followed closely by Razzle Dazzle on 8.83 points. And then Brumby Jack in third place on 8.75. The issue we're having with Superbrew is that the overall leaderboard isn't updating. So it's like they're updating something behind the scenes. We can't see who's in first place. It's just a lot of zeros. Everyone's got a yellow cap. Everyone's got a wooden spoon. Hey, this might be the only week that I actually get a yellow cap. That's a good point. <laughs> we all get one. Though. So. Yay. Congrats to all of us. Everyone gets a yellow cap. Hooray. Uh, yeah. All so right, we, unfortunately, we don't know who is overall first place at the moment, but well done to her, whoever that is. <laughs> well done, whoever that is. All right. Let's keep on rolling. Um, final thing we'll quickly say before we tell you what's happening tonight is uh, we just want to say a big thank you to everybody that has supported us on Ko-Fi Coffee. Basically a fundraising platform where we are trying to just gather a bit more financial support to improve the quality of the pod and make more opportunities like Mitch's um, 
come together as well as providing trophies for the various competitions that we are doing. So if you are interested in supporting the show with um, some of your hard earned cash, we would much appreciate it. Go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby and we would very much appreciate it. So you can look at that up on Twitter as well or on our social profiles yep. in the biography. So that's it. And let's talk about tonight. We are going to wrap up the super round basically discuss what Mitch's experience was like being there at the Super Round and then some suggestions that we have for improving the experience moving forward. We'll then go through and do a quick review of each of the games before we move to the locker room. So with that being the plan for tonight, Mitch, should we jump on into things? Let's go. Looking forward to it. Let's go. Right, we head now to the super round wrap up and we might just start off with some of the news that's come out in the aftermath of it. At the time of recording, we do not yet have Angus Bell's result um, of the sanction that he's likely to be receiving as a result of his red card infringement on Friday night. Unfortunately, Will Harrison has been confirmed to require ACL and MCL reconstructive surgery. And so we'll be out for approximately uh, around about 12 months. Um, so in, in our group chat with Harrison Dale from Draft Rugby, who is a physio, he was talking about the fact that um, Will Harrison may well be ready for the start of next season if his rehab goes uh, quite well, but either way, he's definitely out for the remainder of the season and we will not see him again for an extended period of time. And then finally, Ilyasa Droasisi has signed with the Drua. So that was unsurprising. From what I heard, he hadn't actually returned back from Fiji after his um, break over Christmas. Is that correct, Mitch? Yeah, it's heard? a bit of a weird one. So the Queensland, he's contracted with the Queensland Reds. He went home to Fiji uh, for Christmas after not being able to get home for two years or whatever it's been with COVID and then just never returned. So it didn't show up when the Queensland Reds players were meant to contractually show up for preseason. And from what I understand, the coaches were contacting him and saying, when are you coming home? And uh, there was a, some issues around border restrictions and that sort of thing. He had COVID at one point as well. Uh, so he just, he was... They were in talk to try and get him home because he was contracted to the Queensland Reds, yet he never mm. showed up. And we spoke a few weeks ago from memory about him potentially showing up and continuing for the Reds this year. But no, it has been confirmed now that he has signed with the Fijian in Drua, which I'm not surprised about. I feel like mm. he was yep. based in, in Fiji and trying to sort of find a way or uh, wiggle his way out of that Queensland contract um, uh, to be able maybe, to sign with look, the Drua. Maybe there's some other family stuff going on behind the scenes. Maybe there's a personal situation that we don't know about mm. and perhaps don't need to know about. Um, it can be a little bit more complex uh, at times with players and contract requirements and that type of thing. So either way, I hope it works out well for him and it's not like the Reds are in desperate need of back three players. Exactly. So and I think it's a good thing well. for Fijiana, a Fiji and Drua to be able to sign a player of his calibre. He has come yeah. through their pathway system. He's been a Fijian schoolboys player and through that pathway. So in some ways, it's good to see that the fruit of their labour is coming to fruition now and that he can play for the Indrua and then potentially go on to play for Fiji. We'll see how things pan out there. Okay, cool. Well, Mitch, you actually got to head down to the Super Round. So why don't we just start off with the basic thing. 
Double AMI Park was where it was held. So Amy Park down in Melbourne. Uh, what was that like to be at as a ground for watching rugby just as a spectator experience? Not talking about entertainment or anything yep. like that, just from an actual stadium point of view. Yeah, it's a, it's a great stadium for rugby. It's a really good facility there for for rectangular games. Uh, they, the Melbourne Storm are based there, the, the Rebels are based there, and the Melbourne Victory, I think, soccer team are based there as well. So... Uh, in a lot of ways, it felt like Combank Stadium in Parramatta in Sydney. That's the closest stadium that I've been to recently that I'd be able to draw some comparisons with. It's not as big as Suncorp Stadium, but it's built in the same way that no matter where you sit, you don't feel drastically far away. Uh, we got the opportunity to move around a fair bit throughout the weekend. So we had initially bought tickets up on the, the top tier to be able to get that higher view, to be able to see the... Uh, the the ground in from a better aerial perspective, but with the poor ticket sales, they weren't able to open that area. It got closed, so our seats did get moved. Um, but that meant that we were sitting in various bays around the stadium for the three different days, which was a good thing in in retrospect because one day we were on the sideline, really close. The, for the Friday night, we were close to the Waratahs bench um, and the stand sport crew. We got to see them in action, which was cool. Uh, for the second day, we were down. You're not the... one of those people in the background waving and kind of putting your face in and out of the camera shot. I did think about it. I had my pick and drive hat on, and I thought if I just pop in now, this is a bit of free advertising. But no, I didn't <laughs> want to be that person. Um, so then the second day, we were down the other end uh, in the, I guess the New Zealand side where their team was was held, um, and that was a different experience as well. It was good to be. It was. Better attendance for that day, uh, more people in that area, more tightly packed in, but that gave a better atmosphere overall. And then for the final day, we actually sat up higher because the games were earlier in the afternoon, so the sun was a factor. We sat up higher, uh, up towards the scoreboard and the screens. And even when we were up that way, we didn't feel dramatically far away either. So it is a very good venue. They had awesome. they had a lot of different uh uh, what's the word? Like catering options yep. as well. Yep. We, it wasn't just it. There was a lot of like pies and hot dogs and that sort of thing. But they did have different variety around the stadium as well. So being able to move around was great. Easy to get to in terms of public transport. Just hop on a yeah. tram and yep. we're there. Um, in and out within a few minutes. So overall, as a venue, big tick. I think it was great. Fantastic. Well, what we might do, mate, now that we've got a bit of an overview of the stadium, uh, I'm going to give you some quick fire questions and you're not allowed to go into too much detail. This is like a one sentence, two sentence answer. Okay. Yep. So quick fire stuff. Um, crowds, mostly Aussie, mostly Kiwi fans. Kiwi. Kiwi. Okay, cool. Uh, rough crowd numbers or vibe from the crowds throughout the weekend. Uh, so Friday night was the lowest amount. Uh, I would say it was a third full, if that. Uh yep. Saturday and Sunday seemed. Saturday was the peak. It, it did get better that day, particularly with the Hurricanes fans for that Hurricanes and Reds game in the evening. It felt we were sitting in a in a congested bay, so it felt fuller. Uh, I don't know overall if it was yeah okay better, but um uh, and Sunday afternoon was better than Friday, but not not full either. Most exciting match for you to be at. Uh, atmospheric, like from, from an atmosphere yep. perspective, it was the Super W final. So the Fijiana yeah, fans got at, got so into that game. Every time the Fijian players made a break, the sound around that stadium just swelled and it was fantastic to be there. 
Yeah. How cool. exciting. Okay, cool. Uh, and then quick comments on, was there any halftime entertainment? There was, but it wasn't any special. It was sort of like what we get at Waratah's game. So I think it was so a... nothing, nothing interesting. Yeah, nothing overly uh, special in that regard. Okay, cool. Fireworks, pyrotechnics? There was when the teams ran out, but that was about it. Okay, lighting displays in the evening? No. Nothing. Okay. Uh, what else would I be missing? Smoke machines. Were there smoke machines? There was for the Super W final when they were given the trophy. But yeah, apart okay. from that, no, there wasn't. All right. Okay, cool. Uh, and then what beer was on sale? They had Fat Yak. They had some Four Pines. Um, yep. They had Great Northern. So a bit of variety. And are we there. looking at about 10 or $11 a Twelve dollars. Twelve dollars. Oh $12 a cup. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and how much was a meat pie? Uh, I didn't have a meat pie. I did have a hot dog. That was about five dollars fifty. Six dollars with sauce. Six dollars. You have to pay fifty cents for yep. sauce. What a rip off. Okay. Well, now that we know the hard hitting questions from the weekend, what we might do is shift across into the matches. Oh, uh, into. Basically, a couple of things that I just wanted to draw out and say, well, are there some areas that things could be improved in? So, Mitch, if you were to try and categorize some of your thoughts from the weekend about what could be done to improve this experience within the future, knowing that this is most likely going to be happening again, there's supposed to talks about maybe it'll be in Melbourne again yep. um, because it was run by an external company. But from having been there, what do they need to do to hype this thing up? Because looking at it from the TV, look, it, it didn't look great. So give us, start off with just one key thing that first jumps into your mind. What do they need to do to improve Super Round for 2023? All right, so from a, a game perspective, so the games themselves were the highlights and that was great. But from an overall viewing uh, spectacle, it was difficult for fans because the referees weren't mic'd up. So whenever they went to the TMO or the referee was talking to anyone, as fans, we couldn't hear anything. Um, we didn't know what was happening. They had music playing, they had a DJ, and the ground announcer was sort of doing his bit of, is this a try? Is it no try? What's going to be the cause here? And like trying to get the crowd involved, but we couldn't hear anything. So particularly in that Waratahs game, we're just here, Nick Berry. We can see Nick Berry talking to his uh, assistant, Touchy, and then pulls out a red card and it shocks you as a fan who had no idea what the thought process is behind that. That's just a basic thing for fans at the game who should have better insight than the people sitting at home considering we've paid out money to know what's happening to attend the game and not to sit at home and watching on stand. So it was unusual yep. that we didn't have that, just that little bit of insight. Okay, cool. So Mitch's number one fix to start with is to make sure the refs are mic'd up so you have a better understanding as a fan participant what is happening on the field. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, one question I didn't ask you before in those quickfire questions. Was there any kind of atmosphere? Were there any activities outside the stadium or in some of the kind of concourses that are like, you know, your face painting, your targets, um, Teams that have got there early doing little kind of signing sessions. Or yeah, anything like that. there was none of that. It was that was one of the most disappointing aspects of this whole weekend is that they were marketing this as a festival of rugby. You think when you think of that, you think of like the sevens tournaments where you go for three or four days and there's stuff to do. There's DJs, there's live bands performing. I, I hate to draw comparisons to the NRL, but they do magic rounds so well um, up there in Queensland. 
we're trying to compete with that, we need to be matching that level. When you go to Magic Round, they've got bands performing between games. They've got light shows. They've got crowd interaction. They've got players doing signings pre and post game. Like there was none of that in this game, in this uh, weekend. Between games, there was literally nothing happening. It, so the games would finish and there was an hour between when the next game kicked off. And so the fans were just kind of left to wait. Just, chat. just, just nothing just was happening. Chat. And yep. the other element of that was, and I can understand from a logistical point of view, is that the warm-ups were actually held on a field outside the stadium across the road. And I can understand <laughs> why that <laughs> yeah, was happening okay. because of pitch, trying to preserve the pitch for the six games of rugby that were happening. Um, so, but it meant that you didn't even get to see the teams warm up. So the game finished, I think on Saturday, the first game finished at say six thirty, six o'clock. And the second game was kicking off at seven. We didn't even get to see the Reds or the Hurricanes team warm up. Yeah, they yeah, ran fair. out from the field, yep. went down the shoot, and then they came on and played. And so in that time, there was nothing. A few suggestions for what... Sansa, uh, TEG, who were running this, would be to do. Would I think Stan Sport, from what I've heard from other people I've spoken to who were watching the coverage from home, Stan Sport did this element really well, but engage with the players. It would be fantastic yep. to see uh, little competitions sort of run between games and before and after games and things throughout the weekend of yep. quirky like challenges. Of Now, one of the things that Stan did is they had two of the New Zealand players have uh, trying to make a coffee. And so they were all, they were, they didn't know what they were doing, but they were trying to, you know, steam milk and tamp the coffee and see how that goes. And from all reports, it was hilarious. Uh, those <laughs> sort of things, because that ties into the theme of Melbourne, there's cafes and the coffee yeah, culture, such yeah. a big thing and look, there. That just really jumps into the idea of like you were saying, this festival of rugby, what are you going to do to make it exciting? What am, what are you going to do to get me to bring along my kids to this experience uh what are you going to do to make it so that a 10 year old a 12 a 15 year old is going to come along and not be bored out of their mind for such a long period of time because as adults we can stay there and enjoy three game or three games of rugby across the majority of the day yeah. but if you want to be getting in greater fan greater support you need to be providing that entertainment and so if our first point is to make sure that the audience can actually hear or the crowd can actually hear what the referee is saying so there's a greater understanding and even during the match on that point cool. even just explaining what was happening like in the Warriors yeah, yeah, games yeah, in cool. sydney they do do that in some regard they do put up the reason behind what the penalty was for and most of the time they're yep. in the ballpark they didn't do yeah. that at all here either. Yeah, so there's cool. a penalty. And if you don't know what the referee's arm signals are, you don't know what's going on. So for the yeah. average fan who just wants to show up, like a sporting fan, AFL fan or NRL fan who wants to come because the Crusaders are in town and see how they go against the local Melbourne Rebels team, they don't know what's happening. Yep, exactly. And then the second point then is looking into just that match day experience, creating that festival atmosphere through greater investment in things like... Um, activities player opportunities player signings or appearances even if you're just getting some of the traveling party members who aren't in the match day 23 and you get them to be uh on a little interview stand in like a beer garden or something like that just outside the i do know stadium. one like the queensland just reds things, do things that, like that really well when i was yeah, up in brisbane yeah. a few weeks ago they had a signing bay that opens when the ground opens so an hour before kickoff and so for 45 minutes, they had that week, Angus Scott Young, Lucan Salakai Loto, and Tom Liner. 
who was meeting fans and, and chatting to people and signing autographs and stuff. Like, that's awesome. Those are re- yep. three really big names um, for the Queensland Reds. So the fact that we didn't have that sort of thing was really disappointing. The other element yep. that I, was, I, as a rugby fan, was really looking forward to, and I'm a bit of a sucker for this, but merchandise. I was hoping mm. that I'd get down there and be able to buy a hat or a T-shirt that, ha- that said Super Round 2022, had the dates and all the logos of the teams playing on it. That would like, I love that. I bought that from the World Cup. I paid way too much money for that hat, but it sits proudly, uh, proudly on my shelf and I look at it fondly and think of how good it was to go to that event. Uh, no merchandise at all. The only merchandising that was there was the Fijian Indrua had a little shop set up and from all reports, it, the, they sold out. They sold out before the game finished. Like the Fijian fans were going nuts. They would have made a fair bit of money from that, which was great that they had the yep. hindsight to do that. But apart from that, uh, and I think the Rebels, there was one store I saw that had some Rebels merchandise. Uh, but apart from that, there was nothing for Super Round. There was nothing for the away teams or the home teams that were playing throughout the weekend. Yep. Okay. Well, mate, I think that once we've kind of identified those key points, um, I really encourage anybody who wants to read up a bit more about this to check out Brit, Brit Mitchell's article on ESPN yeah. titled Super Round Festival of Rugby Misses the Mark in Melbourne. Um, it's a really, really good coverage of the kind of main points, some of which we've touched on here. And what we were leaning a bit more upon Mitch's experience and Britt goes into a bit more of a broader view of the festival as a whole. Um, overall, I think it was positive, yep. but much more could be done is kind of the takeaway that I'm getting from you. Would, would you say that's right, Mitch? Yeah, definitely. But I don't, I don't want to finish this on a downer. Like it was a really fun weekend. It was great to be able to see all of the super rugby teams there. Uh, there was a little bit more buy-in from the New Zealand teams, I feel. Uh, from all reports, the Waratahs team played on Friday night, flew out on Sunday morning. The Brumbies flew in uh, Sunday morning and flew out after the game. So they didn't even stay in Melbourne. Um, so the Australian teams just kind of weren't present throughout the weekend, but the the New Zealand teams were. And they were doing things in the community and, and hosting rugby clinics and that sort of thing. So maybe next year it's just an idea of getting that buy-in from the rugby uh, Australian rugby teams as well to make it take it to that next level but overall from a from a pure uh fan experience it was fantastic to be there to see all of the teams play in one venue not done before that was great so i do really encourage people if they do this again to go attend it and you will have a great three or four days of rugby it was really awesome Brilliant. Well, why don't we move now into the actual matches themselves? And I think there is no better way to start, even though it technically wasn't the first match of the weekend. I would like to start with the Super W Grand Final, which was played on Saturday afternoon at 2pm. Do you mind if we start there, Mitch? Yeah, let's go. Are we going straight into it? Or are we... Yeah, going straight into it, let's mate. Go. No, need to, no need to break. Let's do no it. No little like... So... Oh, you know what? Three, two, one. And now that we're here, let's jump straight into the Super W final. And basically, this was the matchup and the game that everybody was hoping for, in my opinion. Uh, two rounds ago, we had the Waratahs get beaten quite comprehensively by the Fijiana and Drua. And in this match, it was a much closer affair until it went down to the final minutes of the game. Very deserved winners were the Fijiana and Drua. 
creating history as basically the first team to beat the New South Wales Waratahs, uh, but also the fact that they did it in their inaugural season in the competition just adds so much to the story. Mitch, how good was this game? Yeah, it was so great. And not only from uh, the, the, the fact that the score changed hands a number of times throughout the game, but in the build-up, a lot of people were expecting the Fijian Indra to just run away with this. And uh, the Waratahs are meant to put in a valiant and and heartfelt uh, performance, but probably not get close. The Waratahs women turned up really well this week. They learnt a lot from that first round against the Fijian Indra a few weeks ago. And you could tell that they had taken their game to the next level, that they had spoken about playing their game and focusing on themselves before allowing and trying to minimize the opportunities that the Fijiana Indrua had. Um, and the fact that they kept in that, kept in the game, and right up until the last probably four or five minutes, the, the score could have gone either way. It was only when the Indrua scored that last try, I think three minutes ago, that it, it blew out a little bit. But it was a great game. Uh, both teams played with so much heart and so much passion it was really the highlight of the weekend for a lot of people that were down there. Yeah, and that's that's the incredible thing. Um, look, there are so many players on each side that we could highlight. Um, I personally just want to quickly mention the Waratahs hooker, um, Delamere, mm. who was absolutely fantastic. Natalie Delamere, she got a hat trick. So huge congratulations. A couple of them were off the back of malls and one of them was just an absolute hard fought bursting through a few tackles to get to the line as well. Um, also, and I apologize in advance, I'm going to do my best to pronounce this name, but the number 13 for the Fijiana Indrua, Radini Yavuna, uh, Radini Yavuni. She was absolutely incredible with the power and the pace and the agility that she was able to um, play with. It constantly kept the Waratahs backline guessing, particularly um, Pauline Pillier and Georgie Fredericks as well. They had a lot of trouble trying to contain the Fijiana and Drua centres. So that was an awesome part to watch. Um, Mitch, were there any players that particularly impressed you? Yeah, I'm going to try and pronounce this name correctly, but Vitalina Nakore for the Fijiana and Drua on the wing. She was just electric the whole game. And every time that they looked like scoring or they scored a try, she was involved. And she's just a breakout player. Looking forward to seeing how she goes later in the year. She will definitely be playing for Fiji when they play the Wallaroos in a few months. So very, very impressed with her performance this week. She was named player of the final as well, which was very, uh, very well deserved. So well done to her. And and, and just a lot of the, te- the team of the Fijian and Drewup, they all had breakout games and they all played really, really well. Yeah, looking at a couple of the points, uh, stats from this match, you look at the carry meters, 616 to 398. Like that's 200 plus run meter difference is incredible. And a huge part of that is down to the fact that the Fijiana Indra, whenever they got a penalty, they wouldn't go for the line. They'd just take a tap and then play from there. And it was so refreshing to see a team play this up-tempo style of game and not just because they generally had the skills and the flair the Fijian flair to be able to do it effectively but also because across the course of the season they developed the fitness and the athleticism to be able to effectively play that game and it is such a joy to watch but conversely huge credit to the Waratahs for being pretty defensively strong for large portions of the game as well I think they played the right style of game in trying to slow it down, trying to look at set piece as a way 
to um, take control of those moments within the match, which is why we obviously saw a hooker get a hat-trick. But with that being said, I think there's a huge amount of ground which needs to be made by the Australian teams to step up and be able to counter this game or this uh, play style that the Fijiana and Drua have brought. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how they do this moving forward in 2023. Yeah, it, it was a fantastic final for a fantastic competition for Super W this year. I, I wonder in some ways if this was a bit of a wake-up call for the Wallaroos and, the, and maybe Rugby Australia that we've had this Super W competition running now for five years and the New South Wales Waratahs women have been that pinnacle team who've taken it out every week, every year. Um, and haven't really been challenged too too much. The Fijiana and Drua come in this year, startup team, first time that uh, a Fiji team is playing in Super Rugby and Super W. So, uh, the Fijiana and Drua go on to win it, which is history in its own right, so well done to them. But they looked convincing against every single team that they came up against this year. And I wonder if the alarm bells are starting to ring now that it might be a bit of a wake-up call when we start to look to the six nations in Europe, the women's six nations, and England are putting in some massive performances against uh, the other teams over there because they are professionals. They are being paid to play. They are that step ahead. Uh, New Zealand as well, they've had their first competition this year, uh, women's super rugby, um, our picky, I think it was called. Our picky. Yeah. Um, They've had their first competition this year as well. They're not all... Uh, professionals over there but they're a lot closer to being it than we are in australia so we do know that the black ferns are probably a step ahead as well than Mm -hmm. where the wallaroos are at really interesting to see what happens later in the year when fiji fijiana i think is the name of their their team um play against the wallaroos and and see if we can match it again Yep. I um I have a positional thought that I'd love to see the Waratahs give a go next year. I'm not sure how contentious this may be. Um, I'd like to see Laurie Kramer given a go at number 10 moving forward. Okay. And the reason why is because I think she um, naturally straightens the line, is looking to kind of step off her foot and go inside. Plus, I think she's got a bit more physicality in terms of her running style and also her defense, defensive ability over Arabella McKenzie. Plus, there's times where I feel like Arabella McKenzie is just a little bit slow in terms of her kind of re-engaging with the play after maybe making a tackle or making a run. And I'd like, I think that Ori Kramer brings a little bit more urgency um, within that position that just might well lift the tempo of the attacking player a little bit more. Um, so that's just my thought for the future. Basically, I've just become a massive Laurie Kramer fanboy over oh, the last couple brilliant. of weeks. she's brilliant. Isn't she good? She's awesome. She's awesome. So I just want to see more of her. Um, and if she has the distribution skills, which I'm not confident enough to say whether she does or not, um, whether or not she would be able to slot into that 10 jersey. Um, anyway, that's and just before we move off as well, I need to mention uh, Emily Chancellor. She was fantastic for the Waratahs and She's yeah. going from strength to strength. And I, I, I liken her to Michael Hooper because she gets pilfers and turnovers at such key times like Michael Hooper has a knack of doing as well. So great to see her have another standout uh, performance in this game. And overall, for the New South Wales Waratahs women, they hung in there and they did play really well. And you could tell at the end of the game, there was a few tears from some of the players. So um it was good to see that. It was good to see that it meant something to them that they mm. didn't quite were able to get over the line this week, but they were so competitive with the Fijian Indrua. Um, so yeah, well done to all the Waratahs women as well. 
It was genuinely a fantastic game. So congratulations to the Fijian and Drua. Massively well done. Hope you enjoyed the party, which obviously happened for the rest of Saturday, long into the night. <laughs> and uh, long may those celebrations continue. I just hope that next year the Waratahs women are able to kind of come back into the picture and reclaim their rightful place ahead of the Super W competition. So I'm looking forward to next year. Why don't we move now? And we're actually going to go back in time and we're going to now move to the Waratahs men. And once again, the women are outshining them by putting in a better performance than the men, much like in all of 2021 and most of 2020 as well. So the Chiefs opened the match of the Super Rugby round against the Waratahs and came away 51 to 27 victors, 7 p.m. kickoff. This was a match which got off to possibly the worst start imaginable for a, <laughs> a team, having your one of your best front rowers binned in, what, the third minute of the Not game? Not even binned, but red carded. Um, sorry, off. red carded. Yeah, yeah, that's the red carded. And then a minute before that, having your hooker getting concussed and not coming back onto the field as well. And then having a replacement hooker, was it early in the second half? Yep. Was it happened? Yeah. Um, Tom Horton getting HIA and not oh, coming back on. Oh, maybe in the first half because I think I think Harry Johnson Holmes shifted to and threw a yeah, line out. So anyway, yeah. E either way a horrible start to the game um, and and the Chiefs were able to capitalise on that quite effectively. How did you kind of respond in the initial 20 to 30 minutes of the match, Mitch? Yeah, the, the first few minutes were really tough, uh, particularly sitting at the, as I said before, sitting in the, in the stands and not being able to hear the reasoning behind the red card was, was difficult because from the replays, it did look like it was probably a yellow card offence. I thought personally that uh, Sam Kane did put his arm down and made contact with the ground So and then rolled over. I also thought that Angus Tartaval latched on and had some uh, contribution to the tip motion of, of Sam Kane, the tackler. No doubts Angus Bell did lift him um, and did lift the legs off the ground, which is always dangerous. But I think personally that if Angus Tartaval wasn't there and hadn't latched on ahead to drive him through... He probably doesn't land on his shoulder and Angus Bell just ends up trying to hold him up like we've seen um, the the tactic to keep the ball off the ground and create a maul. So interesting that Nick Berry didn't take into the consideration of the second player in that mm. instance. Um, yep. But yeah, a not a great start having <laughs> both your whole front row basically off the field or in some capacity playing out of position. Uh it wasn't great, but a lot of heart by the Waratahs early in the second half. They were, came within three points. Jake Gordon scoring two fantastic intercept tries, uh, and then Jamie Roberts goes and throws that cutout pass, which ends up getting plucked off. And from that point, I think that was in like the 60, 65th minute, um, the Chiefs just rolled through and, and took the game out of out of contention for the Waratahs. Uh, a, tough, Look, a tough night at the office for the Waratahs, Enough, a tough night for... Waratahs fans as well. I think had the Waratahs had their full team fit and ready and able to play, we didn't lose Dave Parecki early. We didn't get the red card. I think they compete a lot more in this game. I don't necessarily, I'm not saying that they win the game, but I don't think we're looking at a 51-27 scoreline. Yeah, look, I think the game was, by the 22nd minute, it's 22-3. to three. Um, It at the end of the first half, what was the score? Oh, no, at the 37th minute, it was 30 to 10. And that basically just showed the early dominance that they were able to place upon the Waratahs, which was really, really disappointing because 
the Waratahs have been playing pretty well over the last few weeks. Um, their match last week against the Force was fantastic at the opening moment of the game, but the team was just obviously shell-shocked from the early um, early indiscretions and early injuries that they had. So it was very, very challenging for them moving forward. The great news was that come the 51st minute, they'd been able to call the game back to 30 to 27 with try to Jake Gordon. That was an intercept. Uh, you had a fantastic Alex Newsom try off the back of some great work from players inside of him just in the 40th minute. So at the end of the first yeah, Charlie half. Charlie Gamble makes a break in midfield. Yeah. Yep. Gamble being absolutely immense. And so by the 51st minute, they're back in the game. And then everything turns and the Chiefs score 21 uncontested points from the 51st minute onwards. So you were at the post-match press conference for both teams. Um, We need to be really careful that as Waratahs fans, we don't say, oh, this was a brave defeat. Mm. Because if you think about it, 21 points to nil in the final 30 minutes, uh, yeah, 30 minutes of the game is poor. What was Darren Coleman's reaction? Yeah, he he was pretty adamant that he wasn't making excuses for the Waratahs' performance this week. Uh, I mean, you could we we did it earlier the the red card, the players getting injured, that sort of thing. It's an excuse, right? Um, the Waratahs, he said, have not finished games well this year. They're not having the impact off the bench that he wants and that they need to be doing. And this week, particularly, very he was very uh, upset that they had got so close. In that 57th minute mark, as you said, 27 to 30, they're within three points. They then make some key uh, changes, uh, rest some people, bring on some of the finishes, and they let in 21 unanswered points. So he was he was adamant that he's not making any excuses for their performance and that they just need to be better at trying to finish games off, particularly that last 20-minute period. Yep. And I think that's one of the things we need to be very, very clear of in this game was that the Chiefs comprehensively came out victors. The scoreline suggests that the Waratahs conceded 51 points. And it was just, it was disappointing to see that one area that we'd been quite strong in previously was defence. And yet there were some understandable reasons why it wasn't as um, effective as in previous weeks. But it's still, as Darren Common said, wasn't good enough. So where to from here? Uh, where do you think the Waratahs will be um, most aiming to improve and who are they going to be, if, if there are going to be any changes in the lineup moving forward, who do you think they'd be? Oh, it'll be interesting to see what happens around fullback. So Will Harrison is now been confirmed as having uh, that ACL injury, and ACL, ACL and MCL injury. and yep. and whatever the other one was. So he's out for 12 months. So whether we bring Alex Newsom back to fullback where he's been earlier in the year, that's an option. There's talks that uh, James Ram comes into the starting team all the 23 onto the wing. So that's another option. Dylan Peach has been great on the wing as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if they put Peach into 14 or 11. I think Nwanganito Asi's 14. Shift Newsom back to 15 and then bring uh, Ram into the match day 23 or up front row as well. We're sort of sitting here not knowing the extent of Tom Horton or Dave Parecki's injuries, whether they uh, are able to shake that off and and play this weekend or not. That makes some big headache and decision issues. If both of those players aren't available, we're probably looking at starting Mahi Vailanu from Gordon and potentially pod favorite Ed um, Craig. Craig Ed Craig, he's been going along as a... Yeah, so we've we've had some talks behind the scenes that Ed's uh, been injury cover for the Waratahs and training with the extended squad for a few weeks. 
So maybe he comes into the 23 if both those other players aren't available um, and and goes there. So again, who we start in the front three, um, I'm not too sure at the moment either. Yeah, look, it's, it's a big challenge moving forward, especially when they're playing the Crusaders um, at Leichhardt Oval. I'll be out there. You heading to this match? Yeah, we'll be there. We'll be there with our bells and whistles on, cheering the boys Ooh, home. Yeah. It is a five yep. o'clock kickoff, so hopefully the clouds do stay away and we can get some some dry uh, a dry field and it'll be a really good game. I am worried to, to see how the Waratahs do face up this week because the, <laughs> the Crusaders will... They're coming home strong now. They've dropped some games this year, which is uncharacteristic of them. And they will want to get the bonus points where they can. And they will have this this game particularly circled as a an, a bonus point win for them. Um, so it will be interesting to see what, what happens. All right, moving into game two, which was on... Well, actually, I think it's game three because the Super W final was before this. But it was the Blues versus the Fijian, you know, Fijian Drua. And that was a fairly comprehensive 35 to 18 victory. I feel like we could say it was pretty comfortable for the Blues in the end, but that is not to say that they were not, they were definitely made to work hard for it, in all honesty. Uh, the the Drua had this very, very well-considered and well-executed tactic of doing some short kicking or short grubbers through to the oncoming winger in some of their wide attacking plays. It obviously identified that that was an area of space out uh, in behind the Blues rush defense, which resulted in an incredible try to Mesalami Dolakoto, the hooker who was um, backing up on the inside. Fantastic, fantastic play, although the Blues did smart, um, kind of wise up to it after a while. Overall, though, Blues were far too strong. Um, they didn't have the majority of possession or territory, 38 and 40, um, respectively, but they were able to control the moments that mattered and their defence stood strong. Uh, who were a couple of the players that impressed you within this match, Mitch? I've got to really say that the, overall the Fijian and Drew are impressed in this game. I, I was expecting the Blues to come away with like a 50 or 60 point victory um, this week, just purely on the performances we've seen earlier in the year from the Indrua, but they really fronted up and they were playing at a different level than we've seen. And they hung in there. They were scoring points consistently through the game. They didn't let the uh, the Blues get too far ahead at any point. They were always within um, touching distance of keeping with them. So they scored some early points as well. Uh, I I mean, looking at the Blues, you can't go past Bowden Barrett, number 10. He just, since he's come back from um, his HIA injuries earlier in the year, he's just been going from strength to strength. He was captain this week and he just, he just, uh, steered this team around like like a season pro that he is. It, it never really felt like the Indrua made them work for the victory, and it was a very intense game. There were some very big hits, very physical um, forward-dominated game, but the Blues never looked like they were too rattled, and they always kind of... You just kind of knew that some bit of spark was going to come um, from nothing, so... Yeah, I, 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 I was impressed with the Indrua, um, but I think, as we've said, the Blues were too good overall. Yeah, a really interesting point was some of the um, struggles that the Blues had with their scrum. They only won 50% of their own scrum, which for them is really poor. They'd be expecting far better than that. And when you think about it, I mean, they had a completely different front row to what they normally do. So it's been Hodgman, Eklund and Tungafasi 
who have generally been starting, particularly Hodgman and Eklund. Um, Hodgman, I'm pretty sure, was out with HIA protocols and um, Eklund was just getting a rest. And so they had Lay, Riccatelli and Laulala who all started, as well as some changes within the pack, um, well, lots of changes within the pack itself. I think Robinson and Satutu were the only ones that were still there from the previous week. And so when you consider all these changes, it's not too surprising that set piece, the Blues weren't as strong because it's essentially an entirely fresh um, forward pack. But there was just way too much class in the back line. Bowden Barrett was incredible as usual. Um, and Hoskins Satutu is just the GOAT. He is on fire this season. The physicality of his running game is so abrasive and he almost always is getting game line ball. It's absolutely brilliant to watch. Yeah. Enrico Ioani as well got that intercept and, and read it like a book. I don't know if, yep. if that's what he was saying with his little post-match, post-try celebration, but <laughs> um, yeah, yep. as well on yep. fire. Well, why don't we move on then? I don't think there's a huge amount more that we want to say within that game. Yeah, we now we've got move a few more games to cover, so that we, we, keep we do. rolling. We do. We've got the Hurricanes versus the Reds, and disappointingly, the Reds blew a 17-point lead within the first half to go down 30 to 17 against the Canes. This was a match which produced some of the um Greatest amount of angst and anger that I've ever seen from our usual co-host, Mitch Rev Evans. So he was absolutely furious and filthy at the end of this game from the Reds' performance. Do you understand where that's coming from, Mitch? Do you agree that this was a really substandard performance from the Reds to blow that lead? Yeah, it was really uncharacteristic in some ways of the Reds that they got themselves out to a 17-point lead and they were dominating the Hurricanes in most facets of the game. They had... The territory, they were winning the kicking battle. They were making meters in the contact. Um, the Hurricanes felt at that point like they were on the back foot. But from, I think it was the 35th minute on, they didn't score another point. And they kind of just capitulated in the second half. And the Hurricanes scored, and I can't remember off the top of my head, how. what was the score at halftime again? 17-13? I'm checking it out right now. It was 14-17. 14-17. So they, they, set, they let in two, two tries. Sorry, close. no, it wasn't. It was 7-17. Seven, 7-17. Seven, yeah, I thought it was. Oh, no, a, no, 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 no. Um, definitely 14-17. It just went into extra time of the first half. My apologies. I read the list one. So, yeah, so from 14, that point 17. on, um, the Hurricanes were finishing that half with some intent, but we expected the Reds to go into the sheds like they have earlier in this year and have a, a good look at themselves, regather, recenter, and refocus on what they need to do in the second half. But they just came out and they just looked shocked. The Hurricanes got some early points and the Reds just got on the back foot. And from then, they just didn't look like making, uh, they or getting close to the try line again. And it was it was really disappointing because the first part of the match where the Reds had their ascendancy really came just through forward dominance. Um, they were playing really tight off Tate McDermott. He was basically just doing one or two passes out um, to oncoming um, Reds forwards who'd either do a little tip pass to kind of break that initial um, hard tackle that was coming in on them. Or they'd be able to find a seam between the defenders and just get over the deal, advantage line there. But that seemed to just shift. The The Hurricanes were able to get more possession. They were able to get some of their um, outside power, power outside backs into the match a little bit more effectively. Uh, it wasn't Billy Proctor. Balen Sullivan had an absolute blinder of a match. His stats for the game were absolutely incredible. Let me get them up right now. Yeah. Um, 
It was just absolutely brilliant to see him with a little bit more game time. Seven runs for 90 metres. Um, he was he was just immense throughout the match. And I thought that the Reds just, they didn't have the experience across the back line to be able to play, to, to get the control back in terms of an effective kicking game or in terms of um, choosing the right plays to basically keep control, settle the game down and make sure that they're not just turning over possession needlessly. There was a, this game is one of the, uh, the clear points that we've spoken about in a, the last few years, really in Australian rugby of the Kiwis getting a score or a few scores ahead and the Australian heads just dropping and a bit of a, it, it almost feels like there is a, a mental flick that happens, like a switch gets switched. So they go, oh, we found ourselves in this situation again. Our backs are against the wall. This week, uncharacteristic of the Queensland Reds, we know that Brad Thorne has instilled that Queenslander mentality in this Reds team. He he loves a good fight. He knows when, and this team, when they've got their backs against the wall, they generally gel together as a unit and put in a good performance. This week, that didn't happen. I, I do wonder if that was... Um, contributed from the fact that James O'Connor got that injury midweek. Mm. James O'Connor, Jordan Bataille, two big key players in their back line. Jordan Bataille, not so much a leader as James O'Connor is, but he still has a lot of experience and he has played for the Queensland Reds for a few years now. Um, they weren't able to settle down and regather and refocus on what to do next. Julian yeah. Surveyor scores that intercept try. I'm just trying to bring it up. Um, oh, he, he gets the intercept, I think... Uh, Sullivan or, or Lomac do, do you remember off the top of your head who scores that try was it Sullivan I think scoops it up and Can't runs recall. full field Can't to recall. score so. yeah so from that point on the Queensland Reds in that in that play they stopped so Julian Sevier gets up into the line he taps the ball down they're expecting it to be a penalty or a yellow card so they stop and the Highlanders run away and score and it's awarded a try from that point on the heads dropped and it felt like the Queensland Reds just didn't quite know what to do or how to get back on top or how to get out of that situation. So losing players like Liam Wright, James O'Connor, they're two captains. Tate McDermott is still a very young captain. This is his first year as captain of the Queensland Reds. It'll be in, it, it, it'll be interesting to see, to be inside the, the team on the field in those minutes to see what the communication channels are, what they're talking about. Brad Thorne then um, brings Tate McDermott off around the 60-minute mark and brings on um, Kalani Thomas. From that point on, they just lost all way. They just, yep. at that point, uh, they uh, Fre- and um, Tate McDermott seemed to be the only person that was really driving the attack in that back line. Yep. He was the only one that was helping them get go-forward ball and putting players into space. Once Kalani Thomas came on, that sort of ceased. In the forwards, we had players like Harry Wilson, Fraser McWright, having absolute and Connor Vest uh, in the lot in the first half particularly played really well, um, making meters, being really dominant at the breakdown, not getting some of the reward that they probably think that they should have deserved, but uh, they just overall as a team weren't able to to take those small little victories and put it up on the scoreboard. And I think that um, part of what we need to acknowledge here is the continued growth of Harry Wilson as a number eight within Australian rugby. Uh, you look at his stats across the game and he actually outperformed Harvey Sevilla 
on the night. So Wilson had 17 carries for 68 metres with one defender beaten, four offloads, and Adi Sevilla had 15 runs for 58 metres. So two less, but 10 less metres for one defender beaten, one offload. And so it's not significant, but Wilson is at least matching it or edging him in terms of the quality of the stats that he is bringing back, but also the general impact within the game as well. Um, when Just from an eyeball kind of view of the match, Wilson and McWright particularly, if I bring him into this comment as well, are just getting that consistency in their impact between matches that we've been looking for for a really long time. And I'm looking forward in the locker room to chatting around a couple of questions about Fraser McWright's future as well. Mm. But that's that's a conversation for later. Yeah. Look, I think what we need to recognise here, or at least my, my kind of takeaway from this match, is that the Reds are a good team who had their most experienced playmaker out with injury and one of the most dangerous backs out with injury as well. They had an untried and untested fly half in Hudson Crichton take, oh, Lock and Crichton, sorry, take to the field. And they just weren't able to um, capitalise on early pressure they had or respond effectively when the Hurricanes had their moment to have a bit more possession and control of the match. Um, Nick White said it really well in his post-match presser um, for their, their match, where he was basically saying, look, the opposition, a Kiwi team is going to come into the match at some point. The, the Kiwis are going to have moments where they're playing well and you're not able to impose your games, your game plan and your style onto the match in that moment. The question is, how do you respond as a team? And the Reds weren't able to respond to the resurgence of the Hurricanes after that 17 to nil point. They were weak at the tail end of the second half. And then they were just pretty, pretty poor throughout the majority of the second as well. So they can take some heart away from the early dominance they had within this match. But big questions need to be asked about how they responded to the pressure the Hurricanes were able to put on once they got more possession and control of the match. And I think one of the things that we spoke about last year with this Reds is that they were focused so intently on Super Rugby AU in that final that it seemed like the New Zealand, the Trans-Tasman crossover was a bit of an afterthought and it was only when they got into it that they started to realise, oh, this is a whole nother level. Um, this year, we didn't see that and it very much felt like the Queensland Reds were building up to this. That first 30 minutes was pure class from the Reds. They were dominating the Hurricanes in nearly every facet. So they have they have shown in this game that they are capable of playing the type of rugby that will be competitive with New Zealand teams. They just aren't quite able to keep that up for 80 minutes yet. And as we've said, there's some big names missing on the team sheet. Uh, Lawson Crichton came in number 10 this week. He was good. He, did, he didn't play badly. He maybe didn't uh, feed the outside backs as much as... Jock might have in a similar position. Vunuvalu was quiet. Dalgunu was going looking for the ball a lot and getting caught a few times making simple errors um, because he was sort of overplaying his hand a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of work on there for the Queensland Reds. One of the things that I asked Tate McDermott in the post-match this week was, what was the difference between playing New Zealand to playing, uh, playing New Zealand opposition to playing the Australian opposition over the previous few weeks? And he said, pure and blunt, bluntly, that when we play the Aussies, when we make mistakes, they don't capitalize on it like the New Zealanders do. If you make a mistake, New Zealanders will score points. And we saw that in this game. We saw when they made mistakes, there was intercepts scored. 
there was try scored against the run of play. Uh, the Queensland Reds, unfortunately, they will have taken a lot of learnings from this game. It's now about what they can do with the players they've got available to try and shift the momentum back in their favor for this competition to keep within that top eight for the next few weeks. There's there's many things to take away, and I think that that is a really good comment to kind of finish this um, commentary of that match upon the, the fact that we really need to be stepping up our game and the Reds coming into this game as what they'd only lost one game before this. Yeah. Um, and so it was really expected for them to put in a better performance. And look, let's hope they can moving forward. And let's head on into a bit of a brighter story for the weekend. The one win from an Australian team, which was the Brumbies getting up against the Highlanders 17 to 28 with the Highlanders technically being the home team for this match. Um, so this game was in my mind, the best Aussie performance across the weekend, well, obviously, because they got the win. Um, but the thing that made me just so super impressed with the Brumbies' performance was the speed, the accuracy, and the physicality of the Brumbies' forwards, particularly within the first half. A great example of that is Scotty Seo and Jerome Brown having absolute crackers of games. Um, and then how that then set up and provided more space and time for the um, Brumbies backline, particularly Noah Lulisiu, to be making better choices and to be more effective within the players that they were putting on. So for me, this was a game that was won by the forwards. What, what's your read on that? Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. This was the first, this was the game of the round for the weekend for Australian teams. And we saw. <laughs> yep that when the forward pack can give good set piece and good stable ball to the back line, it gives the spark players in the back line the ability and the space to make the right decisions and score points. They were on top of the Highlanders in a lot of elements in this game, particularly in that first half. Uh, had Tom Wright not dropped that ball over the line, they're another seven points ahead in this game. So... One of the things that I spoke with uh, Dan McKellar about in the press conference this week is that the New Zealand teams seem to get to that 20-minute mark or that 60-minute mark in game to 20 minutes to go, and they flick to another level. They step up the tempo. They start to run the ball harder. They, they, their passes are a little bit faster. They just increase the tempo of the game when the Australian teams are starting to tire. Um, and... Throughout the weekend, we saw that the other team, the other Aussie teams, the Waratahs, um, the the Reds, didn't weren't able to to take that last twenty minutes and turn it back in their favour. They weren't able to shut the New Zealand teams out, and that's when the score got ahead of them. This week, the Brumbies had spoken about that leading into this game. That was one thing mm -hmm. that they said that they were aware of, and they knew, and they had spoken about finishing this game well that they had spoken about the players that were coming onto the bench and making sure that they met or exceeded the level and the um, performance of the players that had started the game to keep that continual momentum going. And I think that's what we saw this week, that the Brumbies were able to consistently play that 80 minutes. The Highlanders did come home strong in the 20 minutes. They did score some tries within that last 20 minutes. But the Brumbies were able to get some easy turnovers get some penalties, kick some points, keep the scoreboard ticking over um, and not allow that buffer to get too close. That's something that the Australian teams can take some heart in, that in some ways they have shown what needs to be done against the New Zealand teams to really compete for that 80 minutes. Yep. Um, 
But in saying that, the Highlanders weren't quite at the level of the Hurricanes, the Crusaders and the Chiefs this week. No, definitely not. Um, I mean, we need to remember that the Highlanders are uh, the worst of the Kiwi teams at this point in time, um, noting that Moana are not a Kiwi team as such. Um, and so it was It was great that the Brumbies were able to put um, to get up by 11 points. You would have really been hoping for more. And I think if we had seen a bit of better skill execution, particularly from Tom Wright, I mean, I'm glad he was hanging his head in a bit of shame, not because I want him to suffer, but because I want him to recognise that he will never do that again. Um, and luckily it didn't cost his team the, the match. But with all that being said, this comes down to, in my mind, a, a couple of the key takeaways to me, apart from what I said about forward dominance before, is, is the varied kicking options that the Brumbies have across the back line. So you've got Nick White, who has a massive cannon of a boot, but is particularly good at the box kick. Um, it's one of his specialties as scrum half. You've got Noah Lelisi, who who's a pretty accurate kicker. But then you've got both Ire Simone and Len Ikitao in the back line at 12 and 13, who have absolute cannons on their legs, as well as having Tom Ryan in the back line who can kick as well, and Andy Muirhead, who started to build up his kicking game too. So out of the back line, it's really only Cam Clark that's not a renowned kicker. And so what, in my mind, that meant throughout the match was they're able to be kicking on their terms. And if they're getting pressured when a player is rushing up to block a kick, they can just pass it on to the next person who can effectively execute the same kick or a similar kick anyway, and still not result in giving the ball directly back to the Highlanders to be running back again. Um, I just think that teams like the Reds aren't kicking effectively, particularly um, this weekend with Jock not being there because they just don't have as enough options across the team to be able to provide that varied threat, which is necessary in today's game. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the things that um, the Brumbies have worked on this year is building a backline that has that um, aerial ability with a few players who can kick off both feet and in different elements of the game. One of the things that the Waratahs are developing and the Reds aren't quite at just yet is that kicking game. And we saw against the Highlanders particularly, as you said, Ando, that that was one of the areas that they really challenged them and it worked quite well. The Waratah, well, the Reds spoke in the press conference after the game about trying to kick shallower and not as deeply to try and bring uh, Geordie Barrett into the game a little bit more and try and and reduce the amount of time and space that he had to to kick with, but it wasn't working. Like That was their plan, but they didn't quite do it well. They were probably kicking too shallow and ending up not able to compete against that breakdown um, yep. and get that turnover back, which the Brumbies were doing really well. Yep. Uh, a couple of quick players that I might just highlight from kind of my perspective who I thought had really good games. Um, Scotty Co probably had his best game in a couple of years for yep. the Brumbies. His attacking threat was fantastic. Uh, he did really, really well with his runs. That was brilliant to see. Um, I thought uh, Kautai was really good in one of his first starts um, in the front row as well, in for Alan Alatoa. So I thought he he did very well, both in the loose and in terms of his um, kind of propping up at the scrums. Supposedly Darcy Swain had an absolutely fantastic game. That's what Joe, Joe Howie on Twitter is telling me from our team of the week that we've recently put up. He's like, nah, Swain should have been in there. <laughs> I thought he was decent. He ate the malls pretty well like he normally does. He's just still an absolute feral animal in those 
in, in, in the those defensive malls. Yeah, I so love good. it. It's so good to watch. Um, but the player that I really wanted to highlight was Jerome Brown. I thought he was fantastic this week, just in terms of the impact that he had over the ball. Got to meet Pye as well. A couple of good runs in there, although he didn't get huge meters. Um, got a couple of offloads away as well. I just thought he probably had his best game in a Brumbies jersey that I can recall. Um, and he made 13 tackles and didn't miss any. Yeah, well. so both so, both Jerome Brown and um, Pete Samu didn't miss a tackle in this game. Uh, Pete Samu missed one. You thinking one, Bobby it? Valentini? Was it Valentini? I Valentini didn't miss okay. one. Yep. Yeah, so Valentini then was the other one. Yeah. Yeah. So, look, really good effort from a couple of those guys as well. It was nice to see Sam Caird on the losing side of things again, considering his defection from the Waratahs at the end of last season. So, sucked in Sam Caird. Um, <laughs> who else? Who else? Is there anyone else you wanted to highlight? No, I'm pretty happy with that. Any any final comments before we move on to the final match of the round? I think it was just fantastic to see an Australian team get the victory. It would would have been a pretty tough ask, and we. I'm sure there would have been things spoken about over New Zealand had it been a clean sweep again, starting <laughs> trans-Tasman. So fantastic to see the Brumbies able to fly the flag for Australia and get that victory against the Highlanders. Let's finish yeah. things off with the Rebels and the Crusaders because I know we have been going for a while now. Yeah, so let's just fly through this one pretty quickly because it was a fairly comprehensive victory to the Crusaders, 42-17 to against the Rebels. I thought that the Rebels probably played a little bit better than I thought they were going to. They kept the Crusaders to a fairly low score within the first half uh, before they just ran away with it in the final like f- 10 minutes of the game with three tries to open the game up. Um, but up until the halfway point, it was only 7-3 to the Crusaders. So the, the Rebels would have been really happy going into the sheds. But then basically the control of the match just went um, completely to the Rebels. It was almost and, like Richie Mwanga. Sorry, just, to the Crusaders. Yeah, yep. woke up. It was like he was on autopilot. And from that point, he woke up and just started doing crazy Richie Mwanga things that he can get away with, making breaks and crazy offloads and setting players up left, right and center. I think he had an involvement in three of the last four tries of the game. Wow. Well, so in in that regard, um, I misspoke before. What I meant to say is there was a flurry of tries at the end of the match. In the 71st minute, it was 35 to 3 to the Crusaders. So they'd won the match very easily by that point. And then the Rebels got a couple of tries back before the um, Lester Fyanga and Nuku was able to kind of get a, not a consolation, but just a cherry on the cake for the Crusaders, as well as really helping my fantasy team get a win this weekend as well. So thank you, Lester. In some ways, it's a little bit disappointing that the Crusaders weren't able to get a bonus point this week because that then makes them hungry for bonus points for the rest of the competition. So <laughs> it's all, Mate, they're it, always hungry. It's for like it. Come on. it's like poking the bear though. They've had a loss the week before. They didn't get the bonus point this week. It po- <laughs> it pokes the bear and and enforces that extra level that the Crusaders need to need to and can go to. One of the things that was unfortunate with this game is that the Crusaders were uncharacteristically poor in this first half. And we Mm. don't always see this with the Crusaders. They've always been the benchmark in Super Rugby for the last few years. Um, They're always at a level high above most of the other teams in in the competition. And it was unfortunate. The Rebels did very well to keep with them up um, up at halftime. 7-3 is a fantastic scoreline. For the rebels to go into the break, we were expecting the the runaway that came in the second half. It's just unfortunate at the moment that when the Crusaders or the Blues, those two teams, are having uncharacteristic and off nights, 
we're not able to punish them for it. It's really, um, those are the opportunities that we, we are looking for, that the Crusaders are making errors and not playing as cohesively as they can. And we need to be uh, taking that as an opportunity to, to put the sword in and, and, and take those victories. But unfortunately, the Melbourne Rebels weren't able to do that this week. Yep. And look, it was good to see um, Rob Lioda get some game time back for the Rebels. He went off somewhat early in about the 50th or so minute. I think they're just easing him back into uh, kind of full-time match workload. So that was positive. Matt Phillip had a pretty good game as well, which is why he made our team of the week in terms of... Um, he got a meat pie, didn't he? Yeah, he did uh, in the 76th minute. Yeah. Had, had some good runs. Was probably the worst of the lock options that we were considering for the team of the week in terms of his defensive accuracy. He dropped off two or three tackles. Uh, but the rest of his game was really, really strong. And he's basically a shoe-in for the Wallabies um, locking position come the mid-year tests, in my mind. Um, it'll be Rodder and um, Philip if they don't bring back Arnold. And even if they bring back Arnold, I think Philip may well stay in contention there. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but cool. Any final One comments on this final game? point is we got to see a little bit more of Carter Gordon this week at 10 for the yeah, Rebels. And yep. it's, a, it's a hard thing to come up against the Crusaders when you haven't got a lot of super rugby under your belt. But he didn't look out of place at all. And he performed quite well, which was good to see. He set up that try for Reese Hodge uh, in the 72nd minute, I think it was. A little kick through into into goal, which uh, Hodge ran through and touched down. So he had some nice involvements. He, he made some good impact for the Rebels. Uh, it was good to see him get some more minutes. Yeah, and um, our thoughts go out to Matty Tuamua as well. Hopefully the concussion issue wasn't too bad. He was having a chat with Sikopi Kepu um, sidelines in the second half of the match. So the the concern for Matty Tuamua is that he has had concussion issues in the past. That's right. So hopefully this is not a significant issue and that he can uh, recover from it quickly. And... Um, Look, the only silver lining is that if he is out for a week or two, just to make sure that he's at 100% health, it does give Carter Gordon the opportunity to be slotting in at 10, where a lot of us, um, a lot of fans, us included, have been calling for him to be starting for the Rebels for the majority of the season. That's right. So why don't we move on now? And Well, before, uh, we, we'll, before we get into the locker room, which will be the final segment of yep, yep, the yep. podcast, I just wanted to run through the... The fixtures for this weekend. Oh, uh, we'll do it now. Yeah, cool. Yeah, just wanted to get it in so you can have a think about your tips before putting them in later in the week. So we have uh, the Queensland Reds hosting the Chiefs at Suncorp Stadium at 7.45 on Friday night. We then go across to Perth where the Western Force host the Blues. A little bit worried about what's going to happen to the Force in this game considering they have had COVID go through the team, weren't able to send a team over for Super Round this week and not train, you would imagine, uh, in COVID isolation for a week. So the Blues are on point at the moment. So that could be a pretty interesting game for the men out West. But on Saturday, we have the Fijian Indrua hosting the first ever Fijian game in Fiji, ANZ National Stadium. For Super Rugby Pacific, there was a game played a year or two ago between the Highlanders... Or um, and the Crusaders, but this is the first time that a Fijian team included in Super Rugby is getting to play at home. So very, very excited to see how that one goes. With I imagine the crowd's going to be absolutely nuts. It's going to be a great atmosphere, and you never know if the Fijian drew a played like they did this week, they might actually really challenge the Highlanders and get um, another victory under their belts, which would be awesome. Uh, we then move to Leichhardt Oval, five o'clock 
on Saturday afternoon. Waratahs up against the Crusaders, which is going to be a massive game. We'll be out there, so looking forward to that. And then we go back to Amy Park in Melbourne for Saturday evening. Melbourne Rebels hosting Moana Pacifica, 7.45 kickoff. Awesome, mate. Well, I'm very excited to get out to Leichhardt Oval and can't wait for this next round of Super Rugby Pacific. Why don't we head to the locker room now so we can answer your questions. Let's go. All right, time to enter the locker room now and answer your question. So the first question comes to us from... Hugh Tyndall on Twitter, and he asks, with the rise of McWright and Gamble, are we better off letting Hoops get his paycheck from some Japanese corporation or French billionaire and spend the money in keeping other players at home post-Rugby World Cup 23? Ando, thoughts? Uh, No. Very, very simply no. Um, I think that maybe a sabbatical arrangement could be um, done maybe for one of the years for Michael Hooper. But I also think that um, he is one of those players that is just so good. We want to be doing what we can to keep him in rugby, in Australian rugby. Sorry. And so with McWright, he's at a different club. And so Hooper's presence really shouldn't be directly affecting him unless it's taking away RA top-up money. Um, from McWright and Gamble, like as good as Gamble's been this season, and trust me, I rate him and his Mo as a and the Mo is a completely separate organism or entity to Charlie Gamble. Um, as much <laughs> as I rate the three of these players that we're talking about here, like Gamble's only had like one good season, and Gamble's um, not Gamble's a New Zealand born. He's New Zealand born, so he was born in Christchurch. So I don't even know if Gamble's actually can qualify for the Wallabies yet under residency laws. I don't know his background. Yeah. Um, I don't know his background in terms of like when he came across to Australia or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to look into that in a little bit more detail. But either way, like Gamble needs to have like a couple more years before we can talk about maybe um, hoiking Hooper offshore to free up his cash to keep players like him in town. Gamble's not at that level yet, even though he has been good. So I guess one question I have for you then, Ando, is post-World Cup 2023. Yeah. Do we yeah. think Hooper will make 2027? Uh, no, I don't think he, he's going to be too old by then. And do we think that we then need to focus on 2027 and get that next player coming through that's going to take that seven jersey? I um, personally think that I agree with what Hugh's saying that maybe we don't need to be spending lots of money on Hooper to be playing super rugby if he's not the long-term plan for World Cup 2027. Yeah, okay. Um, I get that point because he'll be 35 time come 2027. Uh, and actually he'll be 36 depending upon when in the year it is um, played. And so it's going to be he, he won't be around for that World Cup. McRide will be better than him by that point in time, in my opinion. Um, so the challenge, the bigger challenge is then how are we going to maintain a high standard of rugby for the Wallabies um, post-2023 if we're allowing players like Michael Hooper and maybe other top-line players to just exit the Wallabies setup without having some sort of transition process within that? Um, so if maybe we come around to 2025 with the Lions tour and that is Michael Hooper's swan song, great. Okay. And in a final year or two, he's maybe sharing time with Fraser McWright um, and maybe Hooper gets rested from a match here or there and McWright gets a starting position, then cool. But I just don't think that we can take our best player 
and say that after 2023, goodbye, we don't want you anymore. We, we don't have the luxury, in my opinion, to be doing that, considering the experience that he brings to the setup as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do there. And I, I do wonder whether it gets to a point where McWright is outperforming Hooper. He definitely outperformed him this week and yep. arguably last week as well. Yep. Uh, so, look, if, if McWright can continue this form for the rest of the season and then on to 2023 as well, like, good on him. Cool. Okay, great. Then you just need to be better than the incumbent. And nobody's been better than Michael Hooper over the last four or five years. So that's why he's captain. That's why he's had all the tests. And, look, it's going to be hard for him to finish up with the Wallabies and Australian rugby. But yeah, maybe Hugh's right. Maybe it'll happen after 2023. I think it'll happen after the British and Irish Lions tour in 2025. Yeah, that's a good chat too, actually. British and Irish Lions. Surely Hooper wants to stay in Australia to get that. Um, he made his debut not long before the last Lions tour as well. So he will want, I think, he'll be wanting, he'll have a pencil on that as well. So it'll be interesting yep. to see. Um, right. Abel Willing New Zealand says on Twitter, which absent player was missed the most by their team in Super Round? Example, James O'Connor, Brody Retallick, Anton Leddup brown He votes for Aaron Smith. Who do you think was most missed? Yeah, I would be um, saying that for the Kiwi sides, it's Aaron Smith, definitely. And then for the um, Aussie sides, it's definitely James O'Connor. Like the, the difference between James O'Connor and Crichton was stark. Although I don't think Crichton was horrific or horrible. I think he, he played decently, considering his newness to the team in a position. Yep. Uh, but look, um, they're a different beast with James O'Connor at the helm, much like the Landers are different with Aaron Smith um, at the helm. So yeah, those are my two players. Awesome. More of a comment than a question comes in from Myers on Twitter. Glad to see the Brumbies win. The Reds weren't close, but overall the Aussie sides really look like a pub team compared to the Kiwis. Yes, they will have reviews, but we need to beat the Kiwis to get credit back here. What are your thoughts on that one? Uh, yeah, look, I think that it's maybe a bit harsh to call the Aussie sides pub teams compared to the Kiwis. What Tate McDermott identified incredibly well, like you said, is that the errors that we make that don't always get punished by Aussie teams get punished by Kiwi teams. And I think that's the point of difference. Um, there definitely is that step up in quality, but I don't think the Australian sides are very far off. I mean, the Waratahs weren't woeful against um against chiefs. the chiefs yeah. the reds were they just imploded a little bit plus they're missing their key playmaker so i think that there are some genuine reasons as to why the teams didn't perform as well as they're capable of and i think that yeah we we can very easily improve in a few areas that should make it a bit more competitive for a couple of the matches moving forward yeah, exactly. And it'll be interesting to see how the uh, the Australian teams develop across the rest of Super Rugby Pacific this year. We have seen that that first game against New Zealand is always typically a bit of a shock to the system. Um, and last year, I think it was two or three rounds before we actually got a victory. So the fact that the Brumbies have already got a victory in the first game, this the first round this weekend, we're already ahead of last year. So um, it'll be interesting to see how we tread in the next few weeks. Um, question came in from Chris Shan, who sent uh, uh, on Facebook. He's asking around what our thoughts were for Super Round, the concept 
the response, what would we improve? I think we've answered that in the beginning of the podcast. So thank you, Krishan, for sending that one in. That is awesome. And the last What I might question- do is just quickly jump in there. Sorry, Mitch. Um, yep. I'm chucking a you and cutting in. But I would actually rate this as a five out of 10. So if we're going to rate it out of 10, I'm going to give it a five. I'm going to give it, it's just barely passed. But if this was a student of mine writing an essay or something like that for, for me in year, year 12 modern or ancient history, I'd be saying, you've got a good structure. You've got a good scaffold of kind of where you need to be going, but you really don't have enough kind of evidence or specific historical information to flesh it out and to show that you really know what you're doing and you're answering the question effectively. So they've got a decent structure, different, got a decent scaffold of what a successful super round could be, but they don't have the frills and they don't have those extra experiences that make it a festival of rugby like we spoke around before. So for me, it's a five out of 10, long way to go. Yep, well done. Nicely handled. Thanks, Last Thanks, question mate. from Simon Goff. Guys, would you would like your thoughts on Kanatar seriously compete with the top Aussie and Kiwi sides while they have the likes of Alex Newsom and Hugh Sinclair in the team? Great players, but probably too... Um, probably two two out as excellent shoot shield players um top out is probably it top oh, out as excellent shoot shield players um look Hugh Sinclair has been very he's been a bit of a revelation maybe that's too strong a praise for him this season but under Darren Coleman he's been doing really really well and has um stepped into that locking department pretty effectively considering some of the injuries we've had within that position and the lack of honestly the lack of other options that we've had so he's he's deputized admirably um i have a bit of a soft spot for alex newsom because of the amount of crap that he cops in some of our group chats uh with 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 our mates and uh, i won't name names of some of our friends and associates who who like to heap some scorn upon him but he he bleeds blue and he he puts 100% in week in, week out. Is he of the same quality as some of the outside backs within the New Zealand conference? Absolutely not. And you're right, Simon. Um, I think that there is a gulf in ability. But then we also need to ask a broader question of, well, where are the quality players coming through the ranks and why aren't they at the level that is required to make an immediate impact like so many Kiwi players do, well, it's because we don't have the structures underneath Super Rugby to provide them with opportunities and development pathways for them. Um, there's no Mata 10 equivalent, or what is it, ITM Cup? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's what it's now called. Bunnings there's, MPC at the moment. Oh, yeah. Bunnings, yeah, fine. That thing, that competition, it changes name every couple of years. Um, <laughs> there's, there's nothing like that that we have within Australia. So we don't have the opportunity, which means that either players are too young and raw, like Mark Nwanganitawase, and they need a couple of seasons playing in Super Rugby to work out their deficiencies. Like, Mark, Marky Mark is learning how to defend whilst playing against Kiwi teams now. Like that, that's not good. He should know how to be doing these things more effectively before yeah. coming into the super rugby level, but we don't have that option because we don't have that structure. And so I think that that's just some of the reason why we have players um, like Alex Newsom and Hugh Sinclair, who are good, they're, de- they're decent players, uh, but we just don't have the opportunity for young guns to get more experience to surpass them at this point. Um, and that's, that's, that's my thoughts. So would you say that Rugby Australia has the scaffold in place, but not the content? <laughs> no, I'd actually argue that the scaffold's not there either. 
because yeah, they 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 need the structures beneath. Super I was trying to tie it back, back into your last <laughs> history thing, but yeah, it doesn't really. It's chalk and cheese. No, um, no, um, mate. I think that we've got a good argument, a good thesis of what we're trying to be doing to effectively kind of respond to this question, but we don't really know the have the body paragraphs in place to effectively respond or construct that argument. How does that, how does that go? <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good. Thanks, All right. Thanks, well, that, um, that brings us to the end of the locker room. Now, one thing we do want to highlight is the Waratahs Crusaders game this Saturday afternoon is being played at five o'clock. We are thinking of doing another meetup. So we still need to flesh out the, the timing and a plan for that, but do keep an eye out on social media. Uh, Facebook and Twitter will put something out later in the week when we've got an idea of where, when, how, who, what, that sort of thing. Uh, but we would love to get some some of you guys involved there and, and meet some of you in person. So we always do love that get involved aspect of this podcast. Um, this last weekend in Super Round, we had, I got to meet up with some fans. So Andy and Cam, great to meet you guys in person um, and great to, to watch some footy together and, and get to chat about the pod and chat about our fantasy draft. Um, it's really good. So if you are interested in that, do keep an eye out. We will let you know where we are and when, and we would love to meet up with you all. Awesome, mate. Well, this has been a load of fun. Thank you so much for uh, jumping on a pod, Mitch, considering the long and busy weekend that you have had. But what a better way to cap it off than chatting rugby for a good hour and a half or so. So, mate, let's finish <laughs> things up there. Thanks so much, everybody, and we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod.